Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, and we'll be starting with verse 24. And what we covered the last time, or last Sunday, was the parable of the soils. Now understand this whole concept of a parable, where Jesus would look at the observable world and farming and weddings and whatever was going on, he would take a physical illustration and convey a spiritual truth with that. So the parables were very effective. For many, they just didn't get it and didn't seek to learn more about it. Uh, But even today in the Calvary Chapel movement, we use applications to help understand the things of God with maybe a story or a life's experience. Uh, Today we're going to see more or seven more parables regarding the kingdom of heaven and really some of the problems that arise out of it. Now, they're not God's problems because everything that God establishes is perfect. We're talking about, unfortunately, when men get their hands on it, how things start to change. Uh, In the soils, we saw Satan's opposition. We saw the the thorns that would come up and choke those who have received the word and make it unfruitful. Uh, But today we're going to see something different. Satan's strategy is going to change. And remember this word, counterfeit. He's going to go in from the inside and try to infiltrate. And this is, Satan's been doing this for thousands of years with the church, trying to either assault it from the outside or send those in on the inside when we look at the parable of the tares to try to destroy a work of God from the inside. Of course, we know in the end God wins. So we're going to jump in with verse 24. Jesus says, here it says, Another parable he, or Jesus, put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, tares are weeds. They're worthless. Okay? But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So just like we spoke about last Sunday, Jesus, a few verses later, is going to explain this. And, of course, it's his parable, and he does a much better job than me, so I'm not going to go into it right now. But I do want to point out verse 29. When the servants asked him, and it's a picture of God, the, you know, the householder or the man who sowed those good seeds, uh, do you want us to rip these things up? And he says, no way. No way, because you might harm the good wheat. By doing it, let them both grow together. Now, this is another proof text, and we've covered so many proof texts for the rapture, the pre-tribulation rapture, where God removes his people before things get so bad in the times of revelation, and God has to pour out his wrath on a rebellious and wicked world. And they say, well, how can you make that conclusion? Because God never destroys the good with the wicked. Never does it. He didn't do it in Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't do it in Egypt, and he didn't do it in the flood, and he's certainly not going to do it later on. See, God always separates the good from the wicked and then pours out his wrath later on the wicked. Now, you may say, but what about the persecuted church? Don't things happen to Christians uh, overseas that are just trying to worship? Yes, but not at the hands of Satan, or not at the hands of God, but at the hands of Satan. So understand that. Bad things happen as a result of sin, as a result of the fall, as a result of many things. But God does not pour out his wrath 
on those that are his. It doesn't make any sense. So verse 31. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. The parable of the mustard seed. In the natural world, we can look at this and say, well, it's something tiny that grows into something tremendous. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for mustard is synapi, where we get the word synapis alba, which is a mustard plant indigenous to the Middle East, and its seed is the size of a millimeter. So it has a really tiny seed. Well, that seems good. The church is a purveyor of the kingdom of heaven with its little starts in Judaism, and now it becomes proliferous on the earth. And maybe we'll convert the world someday, some say. A few problems with that. Number one, the mustard seed is an herb plant. It's not an herb tree. It's not normal to grow so big that it gets these bows or these branches where the birds now start to make their home. And it's unusual to see a bird build a, a nest in a mustard plant. So we know that in scripture, trees are symbolic of a world power. Now, that's not the original intention that God had for the church, to dominate the world, to convert by force, and to become a world power. So you see this anomaly here. The second problem, if we look at this as a one complete teaching, remember, the only reason why I split chapter 13 up into two teachings is because I didn't want to uh, lose your attention and make sure that this was... Uh, brought up into two sermons so that it can hold our attention and really focus on what's being said here. But he keeps saying another parable he put forth, another parable he put forth. So this is really to be looked at as one teaching of these parables that Jesus brought together about the kingdom of heaven. So remember the birds. The birds in the original parable last Sunday, right, uh, were emblematic of the wicked one. So it's quite possible here that the birds are something that represents evil or an evil influence in the church. And then the question we might ask is, how much junk has gotten into the church? How much junk has gotten into Christianity over 2,000 years? How much of the world has gotten into the church? How many people say, well, gee, I want everything that Jesus has to offer, but I also want everything that the world has to offer. I'm going to get as much as I can out of both worlds. That kind of, um, you know, it misses the point there. So the other question is, or the other problem is money. How much money has influenced the church over the years? One of the biggest complaints of the church is what? Tied to money. They only want my money. What about paganism? If you study the merging of the church with the world under Constantine, the Emperor Constantine, the Roman Emperor, we can see that a lot of our traditions in Christmas and Easter have this paganism that goes back over a thousand years that we say, we do, why do we do these things? Well, if we do a little research, we might find out that it's a problem. Or how about some of these books that are getting into Christianity? There's a new one called Conversations with God. How many of you heard of that one? Only a few. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Now, not all the authors are Christians or purport to be Christians. However, the Christian community is too quick to embrace some of these, these ideas. 
Shaq was the same thing. Well, talking to God, well, well, what about the word? What about the Bible? Oh, that's not important. Oh, that's wrong. The Bible is important because it's God's word. And a lot of these, these authors are trying to make God so relatable that we, there's no conviction and there's no truth and there's no real relationship with him. Starting with Jesus and almost every biblical author, they warned against corrupting influences. And that's why I do what I do. Some ask me, well, why do you name names from the pulpit? You know, why don't you live and let live? Why do you bring up that, that organization? Why do you, I do it because it's, it's a damning influence. And if they're against God, I'm against them. And I will continue to do that from the pulpit. And I always, I always get my facts straight before I speak about it. As a new pastor, I remember, I remember I quoted one supposed Christian, and uh, there was a very astute member in the congregation that came to me afterwards and said, do you realize who you just quoted? I'm like, he's a Christian. You know, he has a website. He says he loves the Lord. I did a little research, and the brother was right. I was embarrassed. It's really a shame that I have to voir dire a Christian before I, I give, right? before I give a quote from the pulpit. That's the society we live in. Too many corrupting influences. You've got to be careful. Verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. So the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. On the surface, it seems like something small permeating. And wow, the kingdom of heaven. I can look at this on the surface and say it's going to transform the whole world. Not so fast. Here are the problems. Number one, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, leaven was always a picture of sin. Even Jesus said, beware the leaven, beware the teachings of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders. The Apostle Paul spoke about leavening influences in the church. The Apostle Paul said in Acts, when I depart, savage wolves will rise up from within the flock speaking damning heresies and, and pulling many away towards themselves. So this is, leaven's not a good thing. Now, if we look at the natural world, leaven or yeast is a fungus, and it gives bread, mm, you smell that fresh baked bread, you know, that's fluffy, and it's, it has that distinct smell and that distinct taste. Well, do you know that the fungus eats the red sugars of the dough and gives off gas and waste, and that's what you're eating and smelling? <laughs> the bread industry is not going to be very happy with me over this. But hey, you know, how, how appetizing does that bagel sound right now, right? So that's the natural world. This woman also is hiding it. She's concealing it. It seems more nefarious than benevolent. Uh, if the bread meal is the word, then the leaven can be cultish teachings or evil influences that unfortunately get in. Again, what God sets up is perfect. Unfortunately, give, give man enough time with it, and he makes a mess of it. So God's way is always the best way. And if he's speaking to a mixed audience, especially the Jews, they would have looked at these three measures as like a fellowship offering, if you understand the Old Testament. And they would be aghast at his using the word leaven, where we might look at it and not see the Jewish implications of it. So he's definitely, there's definitely a truth there that he's trying to convey. So what do we see here? Number one, the kingdom of heaven does spread rapidly. And we'll talk about the good uh, of that it's done on the earth, and it transforms. But give it enough time, get man involved, and it's going to turn into something it was never meant to be. Two, 
Don't be deceived by appearances. Just because an organization or a form of Christianity is big or numerous, you know, some boast numbers, doesn't mean anything. Well, we've been around for a long time. It doesn't mean anything. Actually, that can be sometimes worse than better, right? Verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, and without a parable, he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, quote, and he's referring back to Psalm 78.2 with this, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So, we've spoken last Sunday about why the parables were given, and here's another reason, prophecy. Because God said so, thousands of years ago. And if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So in Jesus' generation, that was the perfect time to bear fruit, to really start to bring out these parables. Now, if you look at Psalm 78, we go back into context, it has uh, 72 verses. It's a very large psalm, and many topics are covered, but in this specific portion of the psalm, basically it was a call for the children of Israel to remember God's laws and his truths and continue to teach them and to know them. And of course, Jesus wanted those to stick with him, you know, to the disciples, oftentimes, you know, scratching their heads, didn't understand what was going on, but they stuck with him. And even after he was crucified and was resurrected, they still hung around and they waited for the imbuing of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit. So, and, and of course, they, it was revolutionary what they did because of that. I would just say this, that we live in an amazing time. If you desire, any of you listening, I don't care who you are, I don't care where you come from, God wants you to know his truths. Now, I'll, st- I'll stand here and tell you that there's some things in Scripture that I can tell you, I know that I know that I know what it means. But the parables are a little, they're a little tricky. I mean, they are... Uh, God's mysteries, and for the most part, he has revealed them. But among good godly men, there are some differences of agreements. And I'm trying to put the ones together that, um, you know, that really make the most sense based on the scripture. However, our desire is to keep with it, is to stick with it. You know, if you uh, are putting together a, 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 I don't know, some type of technological thing, and it's, it's tricky, and, and you, you stick with it, you know, you like, you want to conquer it, Right? Why don't we give the same effort to the things of God? You know, ladies, the same thing. What is it that, that really does it for you? What is it, maybe you have your own business, maybe you, uh, you know, you're teaching or you're a professor, whatever the case may be, uh, that you put so much into it, a teacher that teaches the kids, that they want those kids to really understand it. Okay, the same thing, the things of God, do we put the same amount of effort? Ladies, guys, you know, what, what are we doing with the word of God? And when things are there that we don't understand, do we put more time into it to really understand God's truths? That's a sign of interest there. Verse 36. So he explains the parables. Now he goes back to the parables of the tares. So we covered these, the leaven and the mustard seed. Now we're going to move back to the, the tares and the wheat. It says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, 
so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, the disciples ask. Okay, they didn't maybe want to ask in front of everybody else, but they take him aside and says, you know, explain these things to us. And again, questions are a sign of interest in the things of God. When you leave here today, if you don't understand it, will you ask someone? Will you ask me after service or one of the elders or pastors? Will you send us an email? Will you ask somebody who's been coming to this church for a while? You know what? That's very interesting. Can you, I don't really understand it completely. Can you help me understand because I didn't really get it? That's a sign of interest in the things of God. So he explains it. Number one, the sower of the good seed, of course, is the Lord. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. So I would ask you, are you good seeds? I don't know that. I don't judge. That's between you and the Lord. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you given your life to him? Do you really believe that when you die, the only way you can make it into the kingdom is through him and the blood of his sacrifice? Important question to ask yourself. Three, the field is the world. Four, the enemy sower is the devil. Five, the tares are the sons of the wicked one. And six, I would say this, that sowing is an act of deployment. Now, the world is the field. But you know, when you bundle the wheat together, those are the sons of the kingdom, that's really the church. So check this out. Christ establishes the church, which is the medium by which others get saved. Now, the, de- the devil's desire is to infiltrate that to try to destroy as many as possible and take them down with him. Now, when I say the church, it's not like those old horror movies where, you know, it's a creepy dark night and it's spooky and the, the, the devil's after you and you run to the church doors and you make it on the stoop and you get through and it's sanctuary. That's not the idea. The church, the ecclesia, those that are called out from the world, those that have put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So the church doesn't need a building. In persecuted nations where churches are not allowed to be built, they meet together in in their homes or in the wooded areas. That is a church. So let's understand that. Now, the devil will sow in the church because he already has those in the world. So he's going to do these things. And what better thing than to uh, cause the turbulence within the body of Christ by putting somebody in the church with a Christian moniker? Remember, Jesus in front of the masses said to the Pharisees, your father is the devil. I could picture some around Jesus kind of tugging at his robe saying, this is a PR nightmare. They're the who's who. They're in control. Be careful what you say. They were the ones whose father was, was the devil. And they, unfortunately, were wearing the religious robes and officiated over the religion at the time. So Satan does so in the church. And again, Satan uses two methods. One, persecution from the outside, and two, infiltration from the inside. Now, a few truths here. Number one, since technically the devil does not create life. So if you look at this and you read this, there's a little confusion Can the devil make a person and put a soul in him? Absolutely not. He's just an angel that went bad. He gets a lot of airplay, you know, and he is powerful. 
I wouldn't want to go against them without the blood of the Lord. However, there's some things he cannot do. So to be a tear is really a choice that a person makes. It's that choice to rebel against God and to be separated from him. And believe it or not, in a backhanded way, I'm good. this is encouraging because we have choices in life. Now, the second truth, the tares and the wheat grow together until maturity, and the Lord will not uproot them beforehand. He doesn't want to hurt the good with the bad. And I believe that's the Lord in his foreknowledge. And in addition to that, I believe that some may appear to be tares, but they can be transformed. I really believe that God can change the heart. Uh, remember when Pastor Peter Parkus, he's, we're C3, he's P3. So he was up here, and we all remember his testimony. The guy was um, a drug addict, so bad that he lost his job, he lost his home, and he literally lived on the streets. And then uh, a pastor actually read this parable to him, and he, his heart was gripped with fear, and he said, I'm a tear, but I don't want to be a tear. And that started the transfer. Now, some will argue the whole once saved, always saved. Well, but he was always from the beginning. Listen, you know, let's not get into that. Uh, but the point is, he knew that if he died in that state, it was going to be doomed for him. And he went on a quest to, and, and the, the guy eventually became a pastor, got married, had children. He's amazing. So, um, you know, that to me is very encouraging. So if you're sitting here and you don't know the Lord and you're worried, do something about it. Do something about it. Act on that conviction that maybe is coming from the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's go back to this with the whole church thing and the bundles of wheat. How would we apply that to our church? We're alive with activity. I mean, if you look at the bulletin, um, I don't think much more can be fitted in there. And poor Pastor Anthony, you know, he's got a, you know, a scroll of announcements before service. So there's a lot going on here. But let's not become a social club. Right? If we are the bundles of wheat, then prayer and the word of God have to be first and foremost over everything that we do. Because otherwise, when we lose the Holy Spirit and we lose the word of God, we are just another organization out there, a good deed organization. And that's great, but there's really nothing inside of it. So keep that in mind. The second part of this is, is the harvest, which is the end of the age. Now, Man's rule over man will eventually end. Thank God. See, because God always brings freedom to men and women. Man always brings slavery to man. Right? If you give a man a chance, he'll want to dominate another man, and you give him a high position in the government, and he'll want to act as a king. Look at all these countries. I mean, even our country, which probably has a great representative government, some of these guys and ladies, they get... It's like a drug. They get drunk and maddened with this power. Keep them in public office long enough and look what happens. Give a man or a lady a few million dollars in some fund and, you know, maybe in a year or so you'll find out that there's something going on there. You give them a few billion dollars, the more money you give them, the more problems that you find with this. So man's rule will eventually come to an end. The reapers are the angels and the furnace of fire, well, that's hell. Yes, we believe in the doctrine of hell. Here's the truth, though. Um, where this goes further than the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven is that there's consequences for infiltration. There's consequences to stay in that state. There's consequences to be 
And some may say, well, I'm a good... I had this discussion last night. We were at a social event uh, more towards the afternoon and all the time. But I'm a good person. So I, I moved everything off the table. I took the juice boxes and said, this is me, this is you. You know, we're both nice people, but I cheat on my taxes. You know, and then you put another juice box. Well, this person doesn't cheat on their taxes, but they beat their wife. So where is good and bad? Where is the line drawn? That's unfair. What I think is good, you might have a higher standard, or you might have a lower standard. So God makes the same standard, the blood of Christ. That's how we become righteous. Right? Now, tears in the church, you know... If the church is big enough, you'll find this happen, whether some move in and um, have nothing better to do than tear down what's being built up. Sometimes gossip breaks up churches and splits them. Um, Some come in to see just what they can get out of the church, to take advantage of Christians, because maybe the idea is they're gullible or too trusting or forgiving. Um, Some will hop from church to church, and they'll go from one church to your church to another church. And I've had conversations with my wife and my assistant pastor, and have said, do these people not fear the Lord? I don't get it. How can they do this actively and not fear the Lord at all? It's like they don't have a spiritual pulse. So there are tears in the church. 1 Corinthians 5 shows us that. Verse 43, he who has an ear, let him hear. So here's the question. Do you have an ear to hear? Have you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you going to listen to these parables and be moved by it? Admittingly, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, right? Are you going to be stimulated into doing something about that or just walk out and say, well, that was nice. That was a nice message, smile, and that's the end of it. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Verse 44 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So this is the parable of the hidden treasure. The man finds the kingdom of heaven. He's so overjoyed, he sells all that he has, buys the field with the treasure in it, and they all lived happily ever after. There's a problem with that. Of course. Number one, can you buy salvation? No. The biggest crime, according to God's word, is when money is attached to his free gift of salvation. So salvation is a free gift. You can't buy it. And the other question is, who has the ability to buy the whole world to get that treasure in it? Certainly not me. I don't think anybody here collectively can do that. So, but the argument will be, well, it's a picture of sacrifice as the kingdom of heaven is priceless. Here's another way of looking at this. The world is the field. Jesus was the man, and the treasure is us. He he got rid of everything. He sold, he, you know, he had a a kingdom in heaven. You know, he never was marred by sin, and, and he rightly deserved to be the king, left his throne, took the form of a man, was humiliated, treated harshly, and then the sins of the world were dumped on him on the cross. Did he deserve that? No. But he sees the joy, gets, you know, puts everything aside, divests himself to come to us. Now, I would say this, that, that there, are some, <laughs> there are some that have not fully understand the love of God. I kind of have a rhythm when I'm going through the sermon, but every once in a while I just need to stop and say that I know that there's some of you here that are not convinced that God loves you. 
You're not convinced. Some of you may be afraid of God in some respects. Some of you, because of your past or things that have happened to you, have a hard time at looking at God as a loving father. But let me tell you, you are that treasure, you and I. When I look at myself in the mirror, I don't see the value that God sees in me. So just, I'm a pastor, big deal. Because I see my faults and my problems, but God sees me through the blood of Jesus. So I really want to encourage you with, I don't care what you did. And, you know, maybe now's not the time for confession either. But the point is that you are that treasure. I really like this understanding of that. Now, another, or if we look at this a little bit more, um, you know, when we look at the kingdom of heaven, and I did look, take it apart in the Greek, but he does, sometimes it almost looks like, well, the kingdom of heaven is getting to heaven. But the kingdom of heaven is also the, collecting, the collection of all the souls that keep him company in heaven. The kingdom of heaven could look, be looked at as Jesus, which is the way into the kingdom of heaven. Or the kingdom of heaven can be looked at as salvation. So these are, these are a little tough to nail down 100%. But I think you, you get the gist of what the Lord is trying to say here. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the last two parables here, which we're going to cover, are the person really selling everything they have to get something that's priceless. So here's a priceless pearl that this person finds. And a little bit of a a difference here is this person is looking and seeking actively for this, this priceless pearl. And I can see, certainly, uh, we can look at this and say that, um, you know, if we, if, we, if we interpret it loosely, that there's a, you know, and I remember my quest. Listen, I, after I was in my 20s and, and for a good part of my, my early 20s, you know, I lived the life I wanted to live. I, I did what I wanted. Um, you know, I was free. I bought my house, my first house early. I thought I was a success story. But no, all the things that I got, all the things that I, you know, I kept achieving goals, And every goal that I achieved, I still felt empty inside. And I'm like, you know, I know there's a God. I don't know him, though, but I I really want to know him. And I sought hard after him. Now, there were times that I didn't seek him with a whole heart, and I wasn't found by him. But Jeremiah 29, 13, which is one of my favorite scriptures, when I finally did seek him with all my heart, he made himself available to me. And boy, my life has changed drastically since then. And it was just awesome. I found that priceless pearl. Another translation or another way to look at this is that the pearl is the church and largely with inclusion of Gentiles in that church. Now, let me just let me just go back a minute. If you look in Jewish law, oysters were not kosher. So Jews really had no dealings with pearls. So very curious for a Jewish messiah now to start speaking about these pearls and this priceless pearl where Jews really didn't back then didn't seek after them. The Gentiles sought after the oysters with the, uh, with the pearls in them, right? So what we can look at this is you can make the um, analogy between this pearl, this priceless pearl, and the church. Now, what do we know about oysters and how they make pearls, and what do we know about the church? Well, a few things. Number one, they form slowly, right? Two, they're perfected often out of adversity or irritation, <laughs> a lot of times, trials and tribulation really build our character. 
in the terms of a pearl, it's usually out of the irritation that this oyster starts forming this pearl. They have a uniform transcendency. The body of Christ, we should be in harmony with each other through and through, and we all have equal value. And four, that there's great value in the end. Again, I don't, I don't look at myself as anything terribly special, but to the Lord, I am, and you are. So to us, we are like priceless to him. That's why he gave his life to die for our sins. Now, whether you look at this as the Lord seeking after us, which I do believe he does, that's very clear in the, in the scripture. D- the Lord draws, the Lord convicts, the Lord brings us closer. Or us looking for the Lord, you can see a relationship. Right? You can see it's almost like an equilibrium equation. We're both moving towards each other, and that's a relationship. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. My son loves that gnashing of teeth. He goes like this when we read together. I'm like, it's a little worse than that, son. When you get a little older, we'll talk more about it. But the parable of the dragnet. Now, I'm not talking about dragnet with Sergeant Joe Friday. You know, It's the old show. But basically, it's this big net that was thrown into the sea, and there were different ways that you could fish. They normally didn't just kind of throw it a line in there, and uh, they were, especially in the fishing industry, they had to try to catch as many fish as they could if that was their livelihood. So this huge net would come in and catch more than just the the good fish. It would catch things that they couldn't use, that were uh, predator fish or whatever, and they would have to sort the good from the bad. So Jesus uses a spiritual representation. Now the sea in Bible um, and it's called expositional constancy, which is a big fancy word for if an emblem is used here in the Bible, it's used here in the Bible, like the birds. Uh, the same thing with the sea. The sea was really all of humanity. So this dragnet was thrown in and it would catch humanity. Now, there's a repeating theme of separating the wicked from the righteous prior to judgment. At the end of the age, this age of man will eventually come to the end. Now, it's not going to be May 21st. <laughs> we'll talk about that. I certainly expect the Sunday before May 21st to see you all here the next Sunday. And finally, Harold Camping will be exposed for the false prophet that he is. But the dragnet catches many. Now, here it is. The idea of the kingdom of heaven is very enticing. Some are caught into that dragnet. But there's no, they don't change. They don't change from a predator fish or a sucker fish to something that's valuable. So many hear the things about the kingdom of heaven, and oh boy, I just love to believe. It's such a fanciful thought, and going to heaven, that'd be great to be assured, but man, my life over here is just, it's just pulling me back in. My life of partying, my life of self-centeredness, my life of, of sin, I'm really enjoying it. It's, it's pleasuring my flesh. So it's an enticing thing. Well, when the dragnet comes, if your heart isn't changed, it's not a good thing, Right? So act on what you hear and what you're convicted by from the scriptures. Verse 51, Jesus said these things to them. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes, Lord. (laughs) I like that. I don't know if they were just 
Didn't want to ask too many questions. But no doubt, I just love the disciples because I see me there. If these disciples were 12 perfect dudes, I'd be in a lot of trouble. But there's hope for me because, you know, I love these guys. But certainly they did get a lot of it. Certainly it was starting to make sense to them. And that's the cool thing about discipleship. You know, when you keep pouring in and pouring into somebody, you know, the stuff starts to click. It starts to make sense. They start to get it. Verse 52. Then he said to them, concerning every scribe, or therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So the householder who brings out his treasure, his treasure is for what if he's a householder? To care for those he's tasked to care for. Whether he's tasked to care for someone that he has, uh, that live with him every day or guests that are coming. So this is this householder. Now the scribe, you might get a little confused because the scribe in Christ's generation, well, they had become corrupt. But ideally, a scribe was somebody that devoted their life to studying God's truths and to continue to pass it on to others. If you look at Acts 17.11, even when uh, the Apostle Paul came to the Bereans, you know, they, they listened to the Apostle Paul and they said, hold on a second, give us a minute. They went back into the Old Testament, started flipping through the scrolls, Oh, yeah, he's right. That makes sense. They were so concerned about the truth. Even though the Apostle Paul was very convincing, they wanted to make sure that everything he said was exactly as it was in God's word before they would start believing in this Messiah. So Paul uh, said, boy, these guys are very fair-minded, more than the Thessalonians that I ran into. Old and new, the old, the Old Testament, the prophecies, the hidden truths, what's in the new? The gospel which is a culmination of many of these prophecies. The church, which was uh, foretold in the Old Testament, and an explanation of those hidden truths. So the question is, where are you today? As the householder, as a, a student of the Bible, do we believe in the entire counsel of God? Because that's starting to go away. Listen, you can see this stuff every day uh, happening, and the media loves to focus on these groups, these cultish groups. How many times have you seen the media interview a real stable, balanced pastor who gives, you know, without question, the, the, the truth about God's love and salvation? They'll show the protesters at the military funerals and the crazy things that they say. They'll show uh, pastors falling into adultery and embezzlement. So um, a lot of this stuff is out there. But we need to be the householders that are so focused on God's word, so focused on the whole counsel of God, that we're an accurate representation of the light of Christ. 54. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom, this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Can we push God away? Sure. A lot of this unbelief caused a few miracles, a few things, but, you know, he didn't do a lot of works because they were in active disbelief, and we covered that a few Sundays ago. So, uh, we, we look at 
this familiarity, in a sense, bred contempt. They grew up with Jesus. Yeah, he was a good kid. Yeah, nobody could convict him of sin. He said that. Who convicts me of sin? Nobody said anything. But the Messiah, the Son of God, we saw him grow up from a little boy. Uh, We can't buy it. Now, I will say this, that here's the other side of the whole God's love idea. God does love us, no doubt. God says that we can come before his throne at any time. We can pray. We can be in his presence. We can ask for things. That's a good thing. But in the, the quest now in, in today's generation to make God so relatable that the reverence is lost. You know, our current generation of, of, of the church is starting to lose reverence for the things of God. Yes, he's relatable, but he's also God. And we need not forget that. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I do little things that to me make me feel put, put it at ease in, in the sense when I deal, like in other words, if I send an email or I'm taking notes, you know, um, anything that says him or Lord or whatever, I always capitalize the first letter. Am I the only one who does that? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just feel like if I just write in regular lowercase and his name is there, it's, I don't know, maybe it's legalistic, but... Uh, I even tell my guys when we're praying and we're in leadership and we go to prayer, I'm like, don't say Pastor Joe in prayer. God doesn't care about my title. You know what I'm saying? Just call me Joe. Uh, So to me, I think that there's things that we can do and should do and keep in our heart that God is God and keep that reverence for him. Verse 58, didn't do many mighty works because of the unbelief. I guess my question to you is, everyone here should ask themselves this question. Can the Lord do mighty works in my life? Do I have an active disbelief that's, that's holding him off? Put my hand. Remember Jesus in Revelation, in the Laodicean church, I stand at the door and knock. He didn't open the door. He knocked. Can I come in? He asked this to a church. So as, as even if you don't know the Lord, you do know the Lord, can the Lord do mighty works in our life? Do we hold, also hold to the form of Christianity, the Sadducean form of Christianity, where yes, we are in the Christian community. Yes, we all believe in Jesus and we love him, but... Angels and demons and miracles, you know, that stuff's, I can't see it, I don't believe it. No? Can, can he do mighty works in your life? Will you trust him? Will you let him in? Will you believe? Will you take his hand? Because he wants to take yours. Jesus spoke and made sharp dichotomies between the kingdom of heaven and this world. No comparison. Faith and disbelief. God's ideals and man's, well, poisoning of it. And Jesus warns us, wait till we get to the later chapters of the counterfeit gospel, the watered-down gospel, counterfeit doctrine. Is doctrine important? You bet it is, because it speaks to the character of the Lord. You know, I believe in getting along with others and and trying to make ties as much as we can, but if their doctrine is, is off the wall and it's an assault to God's character, no, no good. Um, the counterfeit church that's coming, the post-rapture Christ, which is the Antichrist, and a lot of this stuff, the building blocks are already laid for these things to happen. Amen? Amen. So I would just say this in closing. The rejection in Jesus' own hometown may be part, may be part of selling all that he had to find that hidden treasure. This is how much God loves you and I. Respond to his love Trust him as your Lord and Savior and be a part of his true family, which wasn't through biological ties or his half-brothers and sisters. Be a part of his family for eternity. That is what's going to mean everything in the end.
Let's pray.